I don't know if you know it or not, but it's planting season. Maybe you've driven down the road out in the country and you've seen farmers finally getting out in the field and you're thinking, well, that must be what you're referring to. Or if we're doing a message series thematically about roots that are sticking up out of the ground from trees that are rather than vertical or horizontal, maybe you're thinking, yeah, we're doing roots because of that. But the reality is God is just saying the stuff that is going on around you is actually just a signpost to the stuff that I have going on inside of you. And the reason I I say it's planting season is because there has been a little bit of a harvest and now there needs to be some new seedlings that are nurtured and some new lives that take on the role. So before I go any further into what I'm, the thread that I'm going down, I want to just take this moment and ask God to help us through it. Would you bow with me? Father, we do know that there is a process where some plant the seed and some water and some nurture and cultivate, but yet you give the increase. So whatever it is that you're doing in this room today, whether it is planting a seed for the first time in a heart that maybe has been tilled up to receive that it would be a good opportunity for something miraculous to begin to happen. And maybe it's just time to cultivate some weeds out of everything that is jamming up our, our connection with you and our ability to be tuned with you. I pray that if that's happening in this room that you would speak to us with the conviction that we need. And I pray that if there's just some good soil that is just saying, I want to grow, 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 help us to not get ahead of ourselves so that we can be on pace with your timeline. And for all these things, Lord, we commit ourselves to you and we turn to your word to hopefully hear it speak to us. Give us ears to listen. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why would I say it's planting season? Well, it's been bittersweet for me because in the span of five days, I've had three, I wouldn't call them funerals as much as celebration of lives. One has already occurred and two more are getting ready to happen. The first with a person that some of us were just getting ready to meet. And her name was Betty Schaefer. And if you had any experience at all with Betty, you knew that her primary drive was a question. And that is, how can I serve? And every time I talked to her, it was always something to do with a place that she could connect into so that God could flow through her lives. And if you knew Betty at all, you know what I'm talking about. What an incredible servant. Here's just an example of her character. She knew her heart was not going to be able to keep pace with her imagination. She knew the time was coming, and we talked about it, and we didn't want it to happen. And she said, I'm going to Florida with my husband, Larry. When I get back, we're going to talk about what we're going to do in the fall, how we can serve, and all of that. But she said, I'm also going to have to have an operation and I got to get my heart sorted out. She had a friend in the meantime that was an older gentleman that most people would probably have written off who was languishing in the hospital in Cleveland. And she made not one but about five trips up there just to talk to him about one topic. And that was the Lord. That was it. She said, 
Larry, let's get in the car and let's go talk to, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he needs to hear the word of the Lord. And I think she had this goal that before he got out of there, while he was in a posture to hear, she wanted to see a seed planted in his heart. And as that conversation unfolded, something began to germinate. And he came to a place within those conversations, beginning with, I don't need the Lord, to, I think I need Jesus as my Savior. And it's amazing how a faithful servant who is listening to the activity of God in the life of somebody that we would have written off creates that kind of fruit. But that's how our God is. And that's how he always will be. But there's one area of breakdown that probably explains 99% of the time the reason why this process doesn't get underway like it should. And believe it or not, even though we're talking about roots, it has a lot to do with our inability to hear. Now I want to just take the image of roots and the image of hearing, and I want to play that out as it relates to a passage of scripture found in Matthew 13. And it describes essentially this. Jesus, who grew up in his hometown, began to feel it. And everything that had been growing inside of him wanted to just bust out at the seams. And he wanted to share everything that God was doing in his life and in his heart. And he wanted to disciple people and he wanted to call people into the kingdom. But this was his hometown. And it was Nazareth. And if you're recently graduating or you've gone on and you've come back, you know when you come back, everybody looks at you through the lens of, oh yeah, I remember when you were a kid. I was just telling Travis that the other, the, uh, just a minute ago. And Travis is like, I know. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the secret is we know that you're a man and that God has been working through your circumstances to shape you into who you are in this moment. But that's our secret. It's an open secret, and we leverage your youth against you so that we can at least, you know, have fun with you. But as God is working in lives and hearts and forming them that way, sometimes people don't want to see it. They don't want to accept it. They don't want to hear it. And Jesus in his hometown began to show characteristics that defined him in such a way that his religious expression wasn't acceptable, and people began to resist him, and eventually they pushed him away. He said, you know what, all right, I'm just going to go north. I'm going to go north to the Sea of Galilee, and I'm just going to park it in the little town of Capernaum. And I'm going to use that as my base of operations with people who don't know me, don't really know much about me. They didn't see me grow up. They don't know what potential I have and how that can expand out into God's purposes. I'm just a stranger to him. But when he started talking, and that stuff inside of him began to find expression, it resonated. And you know why it resonated with people? Because the people that he was beginning to explain his calling and purpose to had three conditions going on in their lives. And they were this. They were malnourished. They were dehydrated. And they had toxic buildup. 
And thankfully, he had such an awareness of God's purposes in his life and the storyline of the Bible that he was able to effectively diagnose the condition of the people that God was placing in front of him. And it seemed to boil down to one of the three. There are people who are hungry for the word of God, but because of their religious establishment and the way church was at the time, they felt shut out. There were people that were looking at God as a source of hydration, but they were kind of riding the fence and not really serious about it because it wasn't worth really getting serious about. And then there were people who just downright had toxic stuff churning in their system. Some of them so much so that it was demonic. And so here's what the scripture says. If you have your Bibles, you can look at them and kind of track with me if you like. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole chapter, but the whole chapter is important for us to, to know in this, in, this, in this setting. Because Jesus is in the city and he's diagnosed the problem. He wants to begin to go to work to see change happen in the lives of the people that he was coming to not only know and get to know better, but he's really starting to love these people. And you may be sitting back and thinking, well, I could see how he could love them, but maybe I, I can't quite wrap my mind around how he could love me. And I would just say that if you've got some toxic stuff going on and you've been a part of it, he loves you. If you're dehydrated and you need to kind of put some effort into getting what you need and doing what you need to do, he loves you. And if you're in that place where you're just starving because you've been shut out of the things of God for whatever reason, I want you to know he does genuinely love you. So here's what the scripture said. Jesus got up and he went out to the side of the lake, which was a pretty like Lake uh, Erie type of lake. And he said to the people this, listen. First words out of his mouth, listen. And why is that so important? Because everything that he's getting ready to say to help the people that he sees suffering and struggling requires just one thing, only one thing and one thing that will open the door. And that's the ability to hear. And you may think, well, what's so big about that? But it's not just hearing. It's attunement. It is a sense of through all of the noise, there is a signal coming my way. And I need to hear this signal. But you can't hear it unless you want to hear it. And most of the people who were content, who felt like life was okay and I don't need God that much, or had some struggles but felt like the God thing really wasn't on the table, it's really even harder to sift through that. But for others who said, I'm at a place in my life where there are no answers and I'm ready to hear. And so when he said, listen, he went to describe something that Initially, may not have made a whole lot of sense, but as he told it, people started to connect the dots. And being in an agricultural setting like it was, people could relate to farming. And so he says, the kingdom of God is like this. People perk up because that's the kind of language that gets their attention. And he went on to describe a farming setting where a person has a bag of seeds and he's throwing them out on the path. 
And he's hoping against hope that somehow in the hardness of that soil, something will grow. Fact of the matter was, nothing happened. The soil was way too hard, and anything that was ripe for the picking was immediately gobbled up by forces that didn't want that seed to germinate. And then there's another setting where the farmer's scattering the seed and he's looking at it and he's hoping and hoping and hoping against hope because the ground, well, it's the only piece of ground that we have in that back 40 that um, we can perhaps find a yield from, but it sure is rocky. And when the seed is thrown out, it pops up and it's like, awesome. And the seed is like, I'm growing and I'm so excited about growing and I'm hearing the word of God and I'm just starting to kind of just dig into it. But oh yeah, there's, some, there's a squirrel over here. And then pretty soon you're chasing after that and you've forgotten what it was that the day before you were so excited about. And the seed just begins to go back into a state of death. And then there's another seed that the, that the sower is throwing out. But he's aware that there is a force at work in this environment that is pretty hard to reckon with. <clears throat> have you ever had, have you ever taken your shoes off? And walked in your backyard, just having fun, enjoying a day like today, and then all of a sudden, you step on something, and you know immediately that that was a misstep, <laughs> a.k.a. thistle. Anybody? I just want to see, how many of you have stepped on a thistle? Yes, yes. We, 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 after, see me after church, we'll start a support group, because we're all traumatized from it. The memories are still raw. What is it about that thistle that is so annoying? It's not just the fact that it, is, it hates human beings and especially their feet, but it also it thrives on hoarding all of the available nutrients and moisture. How do I know that? Because I have them in my driveway. And I'll go to pull on them, and they start to come out, and guess what happens? They snap. And then you know what happens after that. They multiply. And you just lost. You know how you lost? You set the cause backwards. And it's because there's a root that just goes down and just finds whatever it needs to find. And it could be clear over in the neighbor's yard before it finally settled on something. They're just relentless. And Jesus said, if you throw a seed out into that mix, the competition against the nutritional potential of that seed is so great when that thistle is in the vicinity, that it's a no-win situation. And then he finally said, there's some ground that is just the right mixture of everything essential for any seed that is planted in it to grow and thrive, and not only just thrive, but begin to bear even more fruit. And the reason why I say it's planting season is because that is exactly how the church works. And God said to my friend, Betty, it's time to come home. And he said to his, her, her, her husband, it's time for the church to surround him. And so Larry, we're, we want to be with you in this journey. And I think about another person who's gone on. A guy who I have never, ever heard him say a negative word. I bet you you could just... Put him in a torture chamber and he just say, life is awesome. And that's Bob Zimmerman. You remember Bob Zimmerman, Karen? 
Do you remember him saying anything unkind ever is always positive and uplifting? And you're like, man, if we had a church full of people like that, we wouldn't need a job. Just a wonderful guy. Even his wife, Grace, of I think uh, 15 years perhaps. So I never heard him say anything bad. He, whenever he would just be in that mode, because he was starting to experience dementia, he would just start singing. There's a guy in tune with the Lord. And there's a guy who is so positive that when in his dementia, his, uh, I think I'm, it's okay if I share this, in his, in his dementia, they were going through the whole hospice experience and they were saying, yeah, it's just a matter of time. And then they just turned to Bob and they said, Bob, what, what do you think? And he said, well, I guess it's about time for him to feed me to the worms. <laughs> I'm like, how could you even have that view? <laughs> but something told me he had something going on inside of him that for whatever reason assured him it doesn't matter. And then there's, last but not least for sure, um, Betty Leiniger. I don't know if you remember Fred and Betty. Betty was awesome until she started to go through the dementia. And then her husband said, I'm never putting you in a nursing home. And I'm not putting any guilt on anybody. Just, this is a specific situation. In his case, he could do it. He was still able and he took care of her to the living end. And this is how it ended. He told me this the other day. He sat down on the couch. She came over and sat down on the couch with him. She looked at Fred, reached over and she kissed him, said she loved him, came back, and that was it. And God said, it's time to come home. Even Fred said, I'm, I'm okay with it. How is it that people get into such a place in the crazy soil and world and environment that you and I live in that is clearly toxic on so many levels? How is it that people like that become the people that they were? There's only one answer, and it's the Lord. It is the seed that was planted in their heart a long time ago that they listened to what God was doing and they attuned their hearts and their minds and their spirits to what he was up to and they began to just allow the frequency of whatever that was that God was signaling to them, whether it was through the word, whether it was through other people, whether it was just that nudge in a still small voice. And they started to pay attention. And the seed began to grow. And I would say the seed not only thrived, but bore fruit that is just unimaginable. And if you're going to live your life here on earth, you only have one life to live. And if you're going to end your life, that is clearly a good way to end. And you may be saying to yourself right about now, I'm not those people. I can never be those people. And I would suggest God doesn't want you to be those people. He wants you to be you. But he wants you to be in a place where you are surrendered to him to such a degree that you are listening to his voice. 
Jesus was so emphatic about this that if you are looking at your Bible and you're paying attention, you're wondering where I'm going, you'll know this. He quoted a verse from Isaiah that is the most frequently quoted verse from the Old Testament that is finding itself in the New Testament. And you wonder, why is that thing quoted so frequently? Well, the nerd in me certainly asked that question, and maybe you're thinking, I didn't, I don't care. But perhaps you should, because this is what it said. Go and proclaim the word to my people. However, you will discover that when you do, they don't want to listen. And you also discover that they not only don't want to be in tune with the things that I'm saying, but they have so hardened their hearts that they are unwilling to allow seeds to be planted. And I want you to go and help them to understand, even though they won't, because, well, they're unwilling to listen. They are ever hearing, but never able to isolate the signal enough for it to make a difference. And Isaiah was commissioned under those conditions. Go and preach to those people. But you know what? You can take up an offering perhaps and they'll give you something. But they will never pay attention to the significance of what I'm telling them through you. And I think it's repeated so frequently. It's, it's a way of saying the repetition should be telling you something here. And I'd be the first to tell you I've been that person that didn't listen. Even with training and calling and all that stuff, I, I have to get attuned to the things of God. And in Jesus telling this parable, he recognized that the people that had toxins built up that were malnourished and dehydrated were in a desperate place and they, they needed, well, what he had. So he, he finds that the need is so great that when he begins to preach, people start to just gather in droves and he has no choice but to get in a boat and go out from the shore just a little ways to allow the water and its ability to transmit the sound to echo into the hearts of the people that are willing to listen. And for the ones that were tuning in, things began to change. And for the ones who said, I don't know if that's the kind of sermon I want to hear, preacher. Well, they just kind of stayed stuck. Josh told me this morning, I love this, this passage, I'm going to use it right now, and you can, you can give credit to your pastor. A rut is just, how, how did you say that again, Josh? Oh yeah, a rut is a grave with both ends knocked out. And these people were in a rut. And other people were saying, I'm in a rut, and I want out of the grave, and I need somebody to rescue me. And they looked at Jesus, hoping against hope that he could provide that answer. And I think sometimes part of the thing that I'm trying to do is help people to see that maybe there have been experiences in, in, in a church experience in your history that haven't been so good and have kind of jaded you against the whole prospect of there being any good news. I hope that the environment that we have here is a place where what you hear resonates with what you see. And that's essentially what Jesus did. Because he was not only attuned to the Father, but everything about his being was oriented towards the purpose that the Father had called him to live out here on earth. And you may be saying, well, how does that work, Pastor? I want to just go from Matthew 13 to perhaps the Psalm 1. I've got my kids up here, and I could do a pop quiz right now. But one of the things that we did early on was had them memorize a psalm. You remember Psalm 1? 
You know the man who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked? Christian, you just earned a free lunch. The other guys? Chores. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Christian. Um, Why was that so important? Because he's like a tree planted by streams of water. You're going to have roots. There's no question about it. But it is the location that you place yourself in relation to the things within your environment that will say a lot about what you become. And in that psalm, it's just a way of metaphorically describing that we need to be rooted for sure. But we also need to be nourished in ways that, well, they're intentional. They require some effort on our part. Now, the seed, of course, is just something that we don't produce. We can't make the seed. It comes from God. But it can only go through the delivery system of listening, of hearing. Sometimes we're ready to hear. Sometimes we're not. It is amazing, those three. I'm very proud of them all, but there are times when they're not listening. But I discovered their trick. Because when the topic is dishes, it's like they got headphones on. When the topic is like, what do you think about going and getting a nice steak from Outback? All of a sudden, it's like, Ants to watermelon. Just all over it. I learned something from that, guys. Thank you. That is, we all have selective hearing, don't we? And when it comes to the things of God, it really can be very selective. Well, essentially, I've broken down the the, the actual parable itself. I'm not going to go much further into it other than to say that I, I, I want to I I leave you with this image, not of a tree so much like we've been doing, but of a, of a sunflower. And a sunflower that is rooted in the ground will look like that above the ground, and below the ground it'll give that effect. And when it does, it's just saying, I'm just doing my sunflower job the way God engineered me to do it, and I'm thriving as a result of it. And it looks pretty simple and straightforward, doesn't it? All it has to do is just be... Yesterday, after the, after the message, Larry, people said, well, you did a nice job presenting the things regarding your lovely, lovely wife. You know what I told him? I said, she did all the work for us. I just had to throw some descriptors in there. It wasn't hard because she just was who she needed to be. And you look at that flower and you realize that it's a lot more than just a flower. It's a sunflower and it has distinct features that not only are fruitful but fascinating. If you look at it planted behind, beside a stream of water in a desert, it might look something like this. Let's go ahead and show that. You see some sunflowers in the background on rocky soil that otherwise wouldn't be sustainable and it's finding a way. There's just enough there to make it happen. The heads aren't quite so big, but 
it works. Under those conditions, it wants to grow. But not only does it want to grow, it wants to follow the pattern of how it is that it's supposed to develop that God engineered into it. And that's what I want to pay attention to next. In the video that you're getting ready to see, this is essentially what's going on inside the beautiful... Christian, give me a word. <laughs> what? Okay. Or you want the genome, the genus, the... No. I would just want to know inside a plant's essence. There we go. Let's just show the video. not going to take up much more of your time other than to say this. If you follow the sunflower in the course of a day, you'll notice that its head orients itself towards the movement of the sun across the sky. It just tunes into it. And a lot of people thought it must have some kind of intelligence to make it do that. But the fact of the matter is, it has a circadian response where in one part of the day, it, it says we need to grow this way. And then the other part of the day, the response is we need to grow this way. And it just responds to the rhythm of the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun so that it is in tune with what the sun is doing by design. And it'll do that up until, guess when? When it matures enough to reproduce. So here it is, it's like moving with the sun, you know, moving back and forth, and then all of a sudden, oh, that's a nice looking girl, or that's a hunk of a man, and then they stop. <laughs> Done. Game over. No more movement. Bees come along, they do their thing, and they start reproducing. And it can be pretty interesting from that point of view as far as analogies go, other than to say one thing. As wonderful as relationships are, without God, they don't work well. With the sun in play, they do. And when God is in the equation, things work the way they should. When he's not and we put something in our lives that is extremely important to us in the place of God, I can assure you it will start to break down. And it doesn't matter if it's a relationship. It doesn't matter if it's your work or your calling even as far as the task goes. It doesn't matter if it's something that you've accumulated or working on or built into yourself. If you elevate that higher than Jesus, in the scheme of priorities in your life, it'll start to break down. 
Because you're not made to worship those things. You're created to enjoy those things. You're created to participate in those things responsibly. And they are part of the design of how it is that God sees us grow and thrive. But they are not the end all and be all. And as soon as they are, we will get disoriented in such a way that we're like the roots that didn't take hold in that thorny soil. The distractions of life will just strangle us out. Whatever those distractions are, whether they are something as noble as great relationships or our technology and everything in between, when those things are the end all and be all, you start to wither and you start to die. And where I want to go with this message is simply this. As you just think about how God plants seeds, and some of you are asking the question, God, how can you help me? You're like that sunflower just starting to tune to him by design. A sense of dependency and need. And it's humbling, isn't it, to think that, yeah, I need God. I need God at levels of my being that I never realized. And some of us older people see that there are more levels than we thought. And God may be speaking to you today by saying that thing that you have elevated so high in your life that has pushed me off to the side, you need to put me back in the middle or it's going to go off the rails. And he's also saying to you, perhaps you just need to work a little bit on your attunement. Get in sync. Because they found this out through experiments of kind of, kind of messing with the sunlight in their lives and it really created chaos. And then they got back in sync and then they started thriving again. But the last thing I think, if those things don't apply to you, is maybe God is saying, are you listening to what he's saying? Because right now I'm trying to plant a seed in your heart. Rich asked if there was anything to celebrate. Any need to hear this, it's worth your time. This morning, right behind me in that baptistry, Rich Capel baptized his grandfather, Andy Miller. What is so cool about that is how Andy played a role in helping Rich in his own development. And even in his own life was a signpost to the things of the Lord. And in the process, Rich went from, well, we won't tell you what Rich went from, other than to say, God said, I planted a seed in you, Rich. The sun is shining and the soil's right. And now, boom. And Rich will tell you, that's kind of how it happened. Rich is now an elder in our church, baptizing of all people, the person in his life who began that process alongside his mom. And as a result of that, he was able to baptize his grandfather. And, oh, man, it was so special. And I think he would tell you, I never in a million years saw that common. Isn't it funny what happens when you just let plants grow and not get in the way and listen and attune yourself? And maybe that's all you need to do. Maybe God's saying it's time to recalibrate. I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to end it with prayer right now. Father, thank you so much for speaking to us through your word. Helping us to be still and know that you are God. 
blessing us, Father, in ways that we can't even comprehend and many that we still don't appreciate. Thank you, Father, for your word that is so life-giving. Thank you for the good news that rescues us in ways that are profound and even hard to understand. Thank you, Father, for everyone in the room that has lent me their ear in this time, and I pray that I haven't abused the privilege. So do your good work in every life here, and I pray that we would each have a spirit of surrender as we attune to you. In Jesus' name, amen.